1: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. is a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders, powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Tamari, who's your guest today?
2: Well, we are so thrilled to have our guest today who's been on with us before. I've read several of his books. He is just a a wonderful workshop leader, a great guy, and we're just thrilled to have back on with us Bill Eddy. He is an attorney, a therapist, and a mediator. And he's a certified family law specialist in San Diego, California, where he has represented clients in family court and provided divorce mediation services for the past 22 years. He is the president of the High Conflict Institute, which trains lawyers, judges, mediators, counselors, and Workplace people and others in dealing with high conflict disputes in all settings, and this includes such things as the legal setting, workplace, homeowners association, and business. He's the author of several books, he's prolific. He, uh, including It's All Your Fault, 12 Tips for Managing People Who Blame Others for Everything, High Conflict People in Legal Disputes, and B-I-F-F, Quick Responses to High Conflict People. And then, of course, this new one that I've just been reading called It's All Your Fault at Work, Managing Narcissists and Other High Conflict People with Bill Eddy and his co-author, uh, Georgie DiStefano. She's an L S L C S W. So we're just really thrilled to have you back on, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: My pleasure being on again. I'm always glad to speak with you, Mari.
2: Terrific. So let's talk about, and we've done this a little bit before, but you know, who are some of these high-conflict
0: people at work? Well, high-conflict people generally keep the conflict going or make it bigger and bigger and involve more people. So they're the people that often catch you by surprise, and they they, they're outraged, or they're yelling, or they storm out of the room, or they manipulate behind the scenes. They send nasty emails, et cetera. There's four characteristics we've identified about high-conflict people. The first one is that they're preoccupied with blaming others. Everything's always somebody else's fault. Right. They use a lot of all-or-nothing thinking. They have a lot of unmanaged emotions. And they often engage in extreme behavior that 90% of people would never do.
2: (laughs) I know you talk about narcissists and then, you know, the borderlines and the paranoids and the con artists, all those in your book. So, you know, I mean, it's really sad for these people because they really alienate people, but they drive us crazy. So how about at work? Do you think that there are more narcissists at work today? And maybe you should explain to my audience what exactly you mean by a narcissist.
0: Well, people are hearing more and more about narcissists these days. And one thing I want to make clear is some people may have narcissistic traits and others may have a narcissistic personality disorder. And that having a disorder usually means they're dysfunctional, internally or externally. So, they, it, so a lot of people that you deal with that have maybe a lot of narcissistic traits don't have a personality disorder. So it's important you don't say to them, you have a narcissistic personality <laughs> right. disorder. That always backfires. Yeah, yeah. But,
2: well, that's kind of a blaming anyway. That, yes, you right, said right. any kind of blaming is never going to work anyhow.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but some of the characteristics that really make it hard at work is they narcissists think they're great. And so let's say you're working on a group project. The narcissist claims all the credit. And everyone else is going, wait a minute. The narcissist did about a tenth of the work of everybody else, and now they're out front claiming all the credit. Right. So that's one characteristic. Another is they like to put themselves up by putting other people down. So they're often insulting, demeaning comments, um, maybe even spreading rumors, uh, doing things that put you down to put themselves up. And it's this, this characteristic of I'm superior to everyone else around me. And a third characteristic is they really seem to lack empathy, that they really don't care, even if they say the words, that the people around them start feeling like this is someone who who's just fine kind of walking on us to get to the next place he wants to go, or she wants to go. It's not just men, although it's majority men. Uh-huh. Um, so those are three common characteristics that people see in the workplace.
2: So do you think that we're actually seeing more of this kind of behavior at the workplace than maybe in, in the past?
0: Definitely. And some research actually on personality disorders, specifically the people that have it extreme enough that it's dysfunctional for them, has increased in society since about 1970, and it seems to be continuing to increase. Each younger age group coming up has a little more of this and a little more of this. So we all have some of this in our age group, but as a society, we're growing more and more uh, self-centered, thinking we're great and ignoring what other people are doing and, and and having a harder and harder time having people work together, which of course is really important in the workplace.
2: So Bill, why do you think that is? Is it because we're, there? you know, young people are growing up more alienated and they're tethered to their electronics or or their parents are working and no one's around? What do you think is causing this kind of stuff?
0: I think from my view, and I've been really studying this for about 15 years, is that, and and other researchers have, is there's the sense of, I think, individuality that comes with all our technology. That's part of it. But we also dote on individuals. And children growing up, uh, parents can mistakenly Uh, tip the balance so that the kids are in charge instead of the parents. Mm. And helping, and and one of the tricky things, starting about 1970, and so this is for several generations, is the self-esteem movement, which said you can do anything, be anything, have anything, you're special. And so parents told their kids that, elementary school teachers told kids that, and that was a good idea, but it's half the idea. The other half is, If you work really hard, if you learn the right skills, and you're not special to the world, you're special to me, but out there you're going to be competing with a thousand other people for the same jobs, the same girlfriends, the same boyfriends, the same uh, awards, uh, etc., So it's that shift towards the individual, which is part of reality today because of all our technology, but we have to hold on to the balance, and parents especially need to know that. But I think managers at work and employees at work need to realize that. We do need each other, so we do have to respect each other and try to get along.
2: Yeah, and you know, another thing I worry about when you're talking about this, you know, in the younger generation and how they are tethered to their cell phone, and I can see people sitting at the at a dinner table together, and they're texting each other instead of talking. <laughs> So right. I'm just, you know, I mean, this is another thing, you know, part of getting along at work is really being able to communicate effectively. And I know you teach such wonderful skills in communication. And, and we have to, as mediators, we have to help people to come out and express what they need, what they want, what their proposals are. And if they're not used to talking and communicating, then when they get to the workplace, they can't even, you know, express themselves. So I mean, do you think that's something that's, that's causing some of this movement here?
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of a cumulative effect. My, my colleague, Georgie Stefano, the co-author on this book, uh, worked a lot as a manager, also as an EAP, and we've talked off and on over the years as she's managed programs and I've focused more on the legal field and conflict resolution. But we were both seeing that people really did get focused on on themselves, on what they wanted, and clashing um, with the people around them. So it's it's all cumulative. In other words, the electronic toys that we all love, and I have to confess to having them and using them myself. Yep. <laughs> um, it's we have to get have to have time out from that. We have to be able to say, wait a minute, I can set that aside. I can talk to my colleagues, and it's so important at work that people have some face-to-face talks. What we find, right. and as you know, in mediation and in the legal field, if, if people can talk, they can usually resolve their case. If they can't talk and they just send letters and demands and then show up in court, the conflicts really just keep going. Court doesn't resolve high-conflict disputes. It just resolves one issue. But the dispute keeps going because of these characteristics. Same in the workplace. It's like everyone has to work at finding the balance. We teach a method for emails that help with that balance. We call it BIF responses, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And both Georgie and I have just seen totally positive feedback on that. People feel proud of responding to a nasty email with a BIF response email because they just addressed the issue, it was informative, they kept it brief, it was friendly, and and so they calmed the conflict rather than just letting it spring up and then blaming everybody.
2: Exactly. So, you know, I <laughs> I have in my retainer agreement that, that we will not mediate in email, <laughs> that uh, we only use it for setting meetings, for setting agendas, for, you know, reorganizing something, very, you know, never to try and resolve it. But I know people do try and do that at work. They'll try and... Uh, attack someone else or say something when they're angry. They don't think. They just send something quickly. So so I think your idea of just making it brief and to the point and to the issue and not really going any further is probably the healthiest thing. And then saying, how about if I give you a call?
0: <laughs> right, right. And, and that's so important. It's interesting. There's two organizations that I've done some work with where – email correspondent, which would flare up and people start saying nasty things to each other and all of that. And we say, wait, 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 we've got to have a conference call. We've got to, you know, if you've got a group of people doing nasty emails back and forth, it, it upsets everyone. So we say, okay, we've got to have a conference call. We have a conference call and everyone's respectful, friendly. Uh, a month later, then things flare up again. And you say, we've got to have a call. We've got to talk. We talk on the phone, it calms down again. So just, even if it's not face-to-face, but it's over the phone, hearing each other's voice makes us so much more uh, sensitive to each other than when it's just by email. You just think of nasty stuff, and you hit send, and (laughs) and you feel proud of it, and then it, it just blows things up in the workplace. So it's so important to try to communicate directly and try to find that balance.
2: Yes, so you how about how, just I'm thinking of all the people that are driving by that, that maybe have people that work for them that are in conflict or they're in conflict with their staff or their colleagues. So how do you manage uh, high conflict people in the workplace? Give us some, some little hints here.
0: Well, in, throughout the book, we give about 20 examples applying what we call the cars method. and it's connecting analyzing, responding to misinformation, and setting limits. So real briefly, connecting with the person, and that's kind of what we were just talking about, right. but connecting with empathy, attention, and respect. Even if you feel like strangling them <laughs> or, or changing careers, <laughs> is to try to find some way to connect. You know, how was your weekend? Or good job on that report. Try to find something positive to connect around. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It just means that you're trying to connect as a human being. And frankly, with the consulting that Georgie and I have both done, we found that that alone resolves a lot of high conflict uh, tension. Just that feeling treated as a human being and realizing narcissists and borderlines and all the other high conflict personalities Really want to be treated with empathy, attention, and respect, so just give it to them it's free it's brief, it takes about a minute, and you can really calm things the second the a the analyzing is really helping look helping get the person thinking about choices, maybe give them two choices so they have they're thinking about that when people are thinking they're not reacting if you think about it when people are real upset. They don't think very well. And when they're thinking well, they're usually not real upset. So you kind of shift the focus to thinking. It helps people calm down after you've connected with them. So you could say something like, wow, I see how important this is to you and how upset you are. I really want to solve this. So let's, let's sit down together and take a couple minutes and see how we can solve this. Then, right. then there's responding and setting limits. Uh, responding to misinformation is where we do the Biff responses. That's often in writing to an email or something. And then setting limits is so important with high conflict people because that's why they're high conflict. They don't set limits on themselves. They they make a scene. They suck the energy of the the work group. Um, so people have to set limits on them.
2: Right. So, um, is this book really for managers, or is it for everybody at the workplace?
0: It's for everybody at the workplace, because no matter what position you're in, you're going to run into some high-conflict clients or customers. You're going to run into some high-conflict co-workers. You're going to probably run into a supervisor or manager who has some of these characteristics. And that's the complaints we get the most. Uh, George and I, we get the most feedback about high-conflict supervisors right. or managers and that they make people's lives miserable underneath them, even though the people above them may not know that's happening. And sometimes the CEO of a company is a high-conflict personality and runs the company into the ground and everybody drowns with them. We think of like Enron and companies like that. Uh, People were willing to manipulate and get in trouble, and they sacrificed a lot of people. We mentioned in the book uh, Bernie Madoff as an example of Mm -hmm. a very likely high-conflict person and how he destroyed the business for his own personal advantage, and he bullied people to not investigate it, and he charmed people to give him billions of dollars. So it could be anybody. You're right.
2: Right. So, how can you tell right away that someone, you know, will turn out to be a high conflict person if you're interviewing people for uh, for a job, for example? H- how are what are some of the the telltale signs? Cuz you know, they can be like you just said Bernie Madoff, they could be charming, but then they can also be, you know, a monster. <laughs> right. So, so how do you tell if you're interviewing someone
0: I think, first of all, that it's hard to tell with a lot of high-conflict people in that short of a time, but there are some hints. Uh, One is that they speak a lot in all-or-nothing terms. Uh, They were wonderful. They were perfect. They did everything right. Um, If you ask them about, can you describe a conflict that happened in a prior job and how you dealt with it, and if they speak in terms of someone was... It's all their fault, so there was nothing I needed to do. Uh Um, That's not a good sign. And it may be that a conflict arose because of somebody else, but there's always something we can learn, always something we can try. So when someone says, I had no responsibility for solving a problem, that's concerning to me, although it may be true that they weren't the cause of the problem. we, We all need to look at how to resolve it. And Georgie's really good about this. She says, because she does a lot of uh, EAP work and works as a therapist and such, and she says if the person can complain for more than half an hour without ever saying some part of it that they wish they had done differently, that that's often a warning sign, especially if someone is just talking and saying, you know what somebody else did, and they go on and on. But in an interview, people are on trying to be on their best behavior. Right, so it's, right. it's more looking for those subtle hints. But ask about a conflict situation and how they dealt with it. And if they saw the other person entirely at fault, if there's anything they thought they learned or did different afterwards. And that could be revealing.
2: That's a a great question. So, okay, let's say you hired somebody or or you now find out that you come to a new company and you have somebody who's a high-conflict personality and it's really causing havoc in the workplace. How can you fire someone like that? What do you do?
0: Well, I think, you know, first of all, in terms of potentially firing someone, it's always good to write down and document things that happen and when they happen so it doesn't just seem like a personality conflict, that it's really about workplace behavior. Right. Um, and, and we talk about that in the book, that you don't fire people for, um, for drinking or drugs or something like that. You fire them because it impacts their behavior. And their behavior is the problem. That's the reason you're firing them. If the cause is drinking or drugs or something like that, you're not you're not in trouble if you can point to behavior problems that the person had. Uh, and certainly, this stuff about personality, uh, you don't want to say, "Well, someone had a high conflict personality." You want to right. talk about their behavior. And, by the way, I want to mention we did talk briefly about personality disorders, like narcissistic personality disorder, in this discussion today. And not everybody with a personality disorder is a high-conflict person. They don't all focus on a target of blame. Right. And not all people who are high-conflict people have a personality disorder. I'd say there's a lot of overlap. Maybe about half of people with personality disorders are high-conflict, and maybe half of people who are high-conflict have personality disorders. But otherwise, it's a, it's a continuum, and we explain that in the book. So, if, But if you have someone like that, is write down the problem, but also make an effort to communicate what the behavior is you want. Right. We've we we talk about not giving people feedback, but giving people feed forward. Yes. Don't criticize the past um, unless you have to, but focus on the future. Here's what I want. I want you to succeed. This is the goal. Let's talk about how we can help you get to this positive place that we're talking about. But lastly, I want to mention we're going to have another book out in March huh. that's on... And that is on a coaching method for people in the workplace who do have a problem and can be referred to their EAP or a coach. Uh, it's a method we call New Ways for Work, and uh, I can come back and talk about that <laughs> perhaps oh, later. that'd be but great! Be, yeah, it, it relates to this book. It's all your fault at work because it's how to help someone change enough to deal with more positive behavior
2: right and you know one of the things that's always helpful is to kind of brainstorm with that person new performance objectives that are yeah. measurable so that if they don't do what you know what you work out with them to do you know like okay when you're meeting with someone and you have it and you're angry about something and you want to blame that other person what are some things you can do let's put it into a performance objective that this is what you're going to do when you're working on a team. This is what you're going to do, you know, and and have these performance objectives that are measurable because then if they don't meet them, then you have, well, you didn't meet your objective. So that's, you know, you can yeah. hopefully coach them through to get through that and maybe really help them, if, especially if they don't have a disorder, but help them to actually, you know, evolve and change and grow.
0: Right. And, and the thing is, and you're absolutely right, is the future focus of that is the feed forward. Let's look forward. We don't want to focus on what's wrong. Focus on moving forward. And that's a mistake a lot of managers make, is they think they have to kind of beat up the person to get their attention. And now that I got your attention, here's what I want you to do. The trouble is, by then, the, parent, the person can't hear anything because they're defending themselves. Um, and that's a big mistake with people who may be on the edge of high conflict and may be good employees, but they just need more guidance, more structure, more objectives, as you were saying. But to focus on that as a future rather than criticizing the past. Constructive criticism turns out not really to be constructive. <laughs>
2: Right. Criticism. No one ever wants to be criticized. People, people are okay with saying, hey, you know, this is something that we need for you to do in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That, that's uh, so much less offensive. So I just, while we're still talking, I just want to say that if you just tuned in, we're talking with Bill Eddy. He is an attorney, he's a therapist, he's a brilliant writer, and he's a, a problem solver. And he and uh, Georgie DiStefano wrote this wonderful book called it's, All Your, it's Your Fault at Work. We had It's All Your Fault before. Managing Narcissists and Other High-Conflict People. And it's a great book. So, what about the bully at work? Okay, um, should someone just quit if they have a high conflict or a bullying boss?
0: Well, there's different kinds of bullies and different degrees of this. The reality is that quitting sometimes is uh the best alternative but what we suggest is you try this approach the cars method that I talked about unless it would be danger dangerous is actually try to connect with them with empathy attention and respect um i've had people in uh, consulting situations who were employees saying my supervisor got a new supervisor and they're a real bully and I kind of try to rush to my office to hide out so that they don't talk to me because it's always so bad. And I said, actually, you want to try doing the opposite. Go over to them and say, so how was your weekend? And act confident and calm. And if you act confident and calm and actually engage them in something positive, in a lot of cases, uh, a bully may... May totally melt because if they're, say, a narcissistic bully, that's what they they want attention. They want uh, respect. So just give them some attention and some respect, and then say, "Oh, I've got to get to work on that project you gave me." Um, so you know, don't don't make it too long, but just briefly engage. I remember one woman who was about a year from retirement said, "We got a new manager, and I don't want to quit," but. This is what's happening, so I'm trying to hide in my office for a year. (laughs) And I said, try this approach. Try connecting with empathy, attention, and respect. And she said, that alone turned things around. She became the favorite of her narcissistic boss, and someone else became their victim, so she gave them um, one of the books.
2: (laughs) Yeah, if everybody treated the, that uh, high-conflict person like that, that person might be able to uh, to really see that, that connecting with other people in a positive way is a better way to go. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, let me add, though, that you do need to analyze your options, and you may need to look at maybe transferring within the company to a different division. Right. Right. Um, Looking, looking outside. What are my choices? The economy's picking up a little now, so maybe there's more choices for me. Those kinds of things. So analyzing your options, and you know what that does is it helps people not feel as bullied. They feel like they don't hey, feel victimized. Here, I have choices too. Yeah, they don't feel as victimized.
2: Yeah, that's terrific. Well, we are just out of time, Bill. You're just terrific. So, um, again, it's All Your Fault at Work, Managing Narcissists and Other High Conflict People by Bill Eddy and Georgie DiStefano. Why don't you just give your website and it's time to go.
0: Sure. It's highconflictinstitute.com. And we have a lot of free articles there, including how to deal with your your. Uh, narcissistic Boss
2: Well, you're terrific And as soon as that new book comes out we gotta we got to do this again, okay?
0: Sounds good to me
2: Okay, thank you so much, Bill You're terrific Bye-bye Thank you
0: You've
2: been Bye-bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org On the net, I'm Mari Frank Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com Write us an email Thanks
1: It's about trust.